So I think the term Industry 4.0 was invented a decade ago. And I'm a baseball fan too. And I would tell you, we're still in the, we're still in the early innings. We're still in the first three innings of this. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, hey, welcome to episode 39. Today, we're talking all about venture capital in manufacturing. Our guest is Karen Carr, the managing director of Exposition Ventures, a Chicago-based VC focused on manufacturing and digital technologies that take on some of the biggest challenges in our industry. Now, this is our first ever venture capital-focused episode, so you can probably guess it's going to be stacked today. So I'm going to give you the three things you can expect from our episode. First, Karen is going to share a little about her career in venture capital. She'll tell us how she got into it, why she loves it, and some details and lessons learned from her time at GE Ventures. Second, we're going to take a deeper dive into venture capital and manufacturing. Karen will share why she's excited about investing in manufacturing right now, as well as lots of detail on some of the companies she's most into. Third, and finally, we'll wrap up with some discussion about baseball, a cool physical product innovation center in Chicago called M-Hub, and single malt scotch. Gotta do it if it's manufacturing happy hour. Anyway, this episode's loaded. It was a lot of fun. So if you want to access any of the resources we mentioned in today's show, make sure to head over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 39 to get taken directly to the show notes for today's episode. If you've been enjoying Manufacturing Happy Hour or if you're just getting to know us and you're liking it, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, whether that's on your iPhone or on your desktop. Those ratings and reviews really help keep the show at the top of the manufacturing list. And with that, let's get rolling. It's time to set the stage for today's conversation with Karen Carr. I have to ask you, Karen, is there, if we were doing this interview in person, you're based in Chicago, correct? I am in Chicago, yeah. In the spirit of manufacturing happy hour, is there a bar or a cafe or a favorite restaurant where typically we'd be breaking bread or sharing a drink for uh, for this conversation? Any ones that you have a favorite? Where we would be breaking bread or sharing a drink? Um Man, if we were having this conversation, I would definitely invite you to M Hub. They do have a uh, a bar and and host happy hours there for their members. Okay. So I, I, I actually I think that's like almost a perfect place to be doing it. Um, and as they've got a bar that they've uh, they've made themselves, and so they've got like a tap there and those kinds of things. So it's it's, it's actually kind of cool uh, from that perspective. Uh, but if you wanted an actual bar that I like hanging out at in Chicago, um, the Duke of Perth, the Duke of Perth, tell me a little bit about that place. I'm curious. So what I love about the Duke of Perth 
is um, it has got an extensive selection of single malt scotches. And I'm a super fan of single malt scotches. And then on Wednesday and Friday, it's, it has um, all you can eat fish and chips. When I was in graduate school, we used to go there every Wednesday and Friday. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, as someone that went to college in Milwaukee, I'm I'm certainly familiar with uh, Friday fi- uh, fish fries for sure, and we were frequenting those as well at the German beer halls uh, or wherever that was. So Duke of Perth. But uh, Karen, before we really get rolling, I want to make sure I give you a proper introduction. So. For those of you listening today, our guest has a long track record in venture capital and manufacturing. For over two decades, she has been developing technology-based businesses, serving as Executive Managing Director at GE Ventures, as well as the Senior Director of New Ventures and Alliances at USC's Stevens Center for Innovation, just to name a few. She remains the Managing Director today at Exposition Ventures in Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Kerr. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hey, Chris. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on. This is actually the first time we've spoken about venture capital on the show in depth, really. So it should be a fun episode for our listeners. Um, and in the spirit of manufacturing happy hours we were talking about before the interview really got rolling, my first question is always, you know, it's the setting of a bar. So let's say you and I are hanging out at Duke of Perth in Chicago and someone comes up to you and they're like, you know, Karen, I know you're doing Exposition Ventures. What What is Exposition Ventures? How do you describe that to someone if you're having a scotch with them? Yeah, Exposition is an, a seed and early stage venture fund really focused on the digital transformation of industry, um, advanced manufacturing, supply chain logistics, um, automation, and a lot of the technologies that go into transforming how uh, industrial businesses and manufacturing businesses work. Awesome. That is a that is a great, quick, bar-friendly answer right there. And I'm excited to talk about Exposition Ventures and all your experiences in these areas. But first, we want to get to know you a little bit and hear a bit about your story. So one, one thing I found fascinating is your background is in chemistry, including a PhD in physical chemis- uh, chemistry from U of Chicago. I'm curious, how does one go from studying chemistry to going into venture capital? Yeah, you know, when I was working on my PhD, I had a side hustle. <laughs> and the side hustle uh, was doing uh, technical due diligence uh, and business plan writing uh, for a venture capital firm, Arch Venture Partners. Uh, Arch was started to help the University of Chicago uh, commercialize its technologies and commercialize technologies out of Argonne National Labs. And so, They like to leverage a lot of graduate students, both from the divisional programs. Um, So the divisional programs are the ones where people are getting PhDs, as well as from the business school um, to help them vet technologies, explore applications for the technologies, and then um, develop business plans. So that's kind of how I got a a toe in venture. And candidly, the guy uh, who who recruited me, my, my mentor, he was looking for somebody who understood technology and had an ability to write. Uh, I went to Bryn Mawr College as an undergraduate. Bryn Mawr was, is still writing intensive, uh, liberal arts school. And uh, while I may not think I'm the best writer, uh, I'm decent compared to most chemists. 
sure. No, no doubt. It's funny. When I was in college, I was always delegated to being the uh, what do you call it? The group document person, the guy that did all the writing for uh, for group projects, because I, I don't know, I just knew how to take the technical terms and simplify it into uh, something that made sense in a paper. So it's funny that you bring up side hustles, though, that that ultimately your career evolved out of a, a side hustle. You know, as, as someone that's in venture capital that works for, with a lot of different innovative companies you know do you ever get to hear the origin stories of these groups do a lot do uh, do some of the companies you work with also evolve out of side hustles i'm just curious yeah, I, I, a, I do hear the origin story and it and the origin stories uh impacts my perspective on the companies a lot because i think particularly uh when you're investing in these manufacturing companies at the end of the day, it's the technology is important, but it's actually understanding the industry that it's going into and the workflows. And so I pay very careful attention to those origin stories to see how people have learned things. People learn things both from their actual career or if they have some passion or hobby or side uh, hustle, as it were, they can learn an industry that way as well. So I, I, I do like to, you know, it's like Hewlett Packard, like the origin story in the garage. Uh, we're always looking for that in venture capital. That's, that's pretty cool. I was, you know, it, it just piqued my interest as you were saying your career started from a side hustle, you know, and and you've stuck with it for so long over, over two decades that, you know, the next thing I'm curious about is what's made you stick with it for that long is, is there something about the VC world that brings you fulfillment or what is it? You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think the VC world has, uh, first off, you're constantly looking at new technologies. And as a technologist, that's actually pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. You're constantly learning new industries or new aspects of an industry. Uh, you're meeting a lot of new people and you're building things. And particularly in venture, you're building things from the ground up. That's, that's really exciting to me. I've just enjoyed it. And, I, and, you know, I often joke, I have a PhD in chemistry and chemistry is a useful uh, discipline uh, from a technical perspective. Sometimes I wish I had a PhD in psychology because it's really how you manage people and teams to get the most out of it. Uh, that's really what makes for successful businesses. Yeah, I, I love that you're touching on all, the, all these elements outside of technology. You mentioned the knowledge of the industry in in your last answer. Now you're talking about the psychology and the people element to it. I have I have no doubt those are some of the big focuses that VCs are paying attention to when they're looking for the companies that they want to that they want to back. Um, yeah, and, absolutely, and absolutely. I think the the entrepreneur is the most critical thing. The entrepreneur and her ability to build a high-functioning team, uh, that's so critical. Some of these companies fall apart because the entrepreneur can't hire, people don't want to work for them. But if you can get that together with great technology and an understanding of, a, of an industry, you've got the makings of something special. Well, when you take all these elements, you know, I, I think of at least it brings to mind GE and thinking of, you know, your your experience at GE. That was such a, you know, 
a historical industrial company, long history, and you had the exciting opportunity to lead their venture arm as well. You know, what was it like working for such a large company um, in a VC capacity like that? Well, I, I, I have to correct you because I didn't lead the venture arm. Okay. I, I, w- I was executive uh, managing director and I led a large team within the venture group. Got it. Uh, I'd originally gone to GE um, to stand up a practice specifically around investing in advanced manufacturing technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, I came in and developed, built the team, developed the investment thesis and really broadened the investment thesis because I think uh, if you think about advanced manufacturing or industry 4.0, um, the real power of it is when you uh, not only digitize your operations, but connect all parts of the value chain and you have, you democratize that mm-hmm. uh, information across the value chain. So, so we extended that to include enterprise software. Um, but yeah, the GE was certainly an, an, an interesting, uh, that was a great, uh, that was a great uh, ride there as well. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. Are you searching for an e-commerce platform tailored to your industrial operation? Well, look no further than our sponsor for today's episode, Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha equips manufacturers, distributors, and dealers with the products and services they need to accelerate profits online. Now, I've been lucky enough to really get to know the folks over at Gen Alpha for the past few months, and what I love about them is that their entire leadership team comes from our industry. Not only do they know e-commerce, but they understand the challenges that manufacturing companies face when ordering parts online. If implementing an e-commerce platform is new territory for you, or you feel like you could be doing it better, Gen Alpha offers an e-commerce readiness assessment to help OEMs identify their areas of strength and weakness in order to prioritize the activities required for a successful e-commerce launch. To learn more about Gen Alpha, make sure to head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash genalpha to listen to our interview with their president and COO, Christina Harrington. There, you can also find a direct link to their e-commerce readiness assessment, or you can check them out on the web at genalpha.com. In summary, if you're an equipment manufacturer, distributor, and your customers struggle to identify the right parts for the job, Gen Alpha can help. And now, back to today's episode. And I heard you describe, you know, when in another podcast, you described venture capital as one of the engines of corporate innovation. Um, and I believe you described that as at, when you were in the context of GE. Can you say describe what that means for us? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think if you have any large company like a, like a GE, um, they're really, I call it, there are three legs to the innovation stool. Mm-hmm. Uh, since GE was an engine company, I like to talk about engines, but yeah. uh, 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 leg one or it is uh, really uh, organic uh, in nature, and that's uh, large companies tend to have R and D facilities, mm-hmm. um, and so you invent it, you invent things yourself. And GE yep. certainly had its global research centers, 
um, and was on the forefront of a lot of cutting edge uh, inventions, particularly on the material side. I think that's where they really shone. And on the engine side, that's where they really shone. Uh, then there's what I like to call inorganic innovation. Um, and that's where you just do a lot of M&A. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you buy innovation. And GE did a lot of that as well. And most large companies uh, do. Mm -hmm. uh, if I look at a company like uh, Cisco, they're, they're the, the kings of it. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, then, uh, uh, and then you've got innovation through partnership where you work with innovative companies, whether they be small startups or maybe even larger companies where you don't have to build every component and mm -hmm. provide every component of the technology, but you can work with other companies, particularly some of these innovative young ones, um, to help you advance your products and services. And so what we were trying to do at, at GE Ventures was innovation through partnership. We were investing in a lot of startups that were relevant to our businesses, whether they be energy or healthcare, GE was a large manufacturer, so that hence my practice, which was around investing in companies that were providing technologies to help manufacturers, mm -hmm. and then work with those companies. So that's awesome. And and for our listeners out there, just to do a quick recap, you know, I love the three-legged stool stool example that you just gave, Karen. So you've got R and D, which is like your organic. Um, your, your organic, your internal, you got inorganic innovation through M&A. And finally, like you said, where you were on the VC side, uh, innovation through partnerships. Really cool way to describe that. I think a lot of us think of the first two, um, but the third one doesn't necessarily come to mind all the time. So it, that's a hard one for businesses too, because a lot mm -hmm. of companies want to own everything. So that creates mm -hmm. some cultural tensions. But candidly, if you really think about it, most M&A doesn't actually work. <laughs> I, I, I've seen my share of those. You're right. <laughs> and to invent everything yourself from scratch just takes a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so partnership becomes an important uh, component. So because sometimes things you, you probably you figure out you don't really need to own that ever. Something, mm -hmm. Sometimes you do decide, well, I do need to own that. And then you can add the M&A piece to it. So I think the partnership just gives you more flexibility and speed yeah. to market. Well, I, I think that's an interesting segue into another question I have, because if I look at, you know, GE was doing cool things. I, you know, I was looking at the list of investments they had. Virgin Hyperloop Loop was part of it. Zometry is is on there. They, they were just on the show a few episodes ago. Um, but ultimately, you know, GE eventually, you know, sold off their investments in that part of the uh, the business, if I understand this right. I'm curious, what can be learned from a longtime industrial powerhouse like that walking away from that focus if partnerships and VC are so important to it? Corporate uh, venture capital has actually been, um, and, and PitchBook has some, some research on this, has been increasing um, over the last decade, uh, mm -hmm. maybe even decade and a half, because I think companies do realize that this innovation through partnership is a critical component. Um, so even in this uh, even in this downturn, you're still seeing corporate venture groups get set up. The challenge on corporate venture capital has been that it really requires strong. Um, 
strong executive sponsorship. And uh, for GE, I think when when Jeff Immelt stepped down and Jeff Immelt was the executive sponsor uh, mm-hmm. who, who had taken uh, investing activity that was going on in GE in its capital business, brought it into the corporate business and really sought to make it strategic, sort of tip of spear. How do we, how do we see what else is out there? Um, look for threats, look for partnership mm-hmm. opportunities and the like. Uh, so he was a sponsor and Beth Comstock, who was vice chair, first CMO and then uh, vice chair and the venture group reported up through her. She was a huge advocate. And those are two powerful sponsors. I think once they both stepped back and hmm. new leadership with um, uh, and given the, the GE's desire to strengthen its balance sheet and maybe mm-hmm. delever its balance sheet. Uh, the, the venture investing part became, they felt less tenable for them. Understood. Understood. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot a, of that's, that. a, that's a common thing that happens. You have leadership change and then mm-hmm. the venture groups somehow wind out. I mean, you, you do have a couple corporates where, where they've been able to sustain it across, uh, across leadership changes. Um, if you set it up as a separate group, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, um, that typically helps. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we see it all the time on this show, whether it's digital transformation, you know, an enterprise wide connecting of facilities, you know, it requires that strong executive sponsorship. And if that's not there, you know, things become reprioritized. Let's put it that way. Um, well said, <laughs> but it hasn't slowed you down at all because, you know, you're still very much focused on VC in the manufacturing space. And I'd love to use this as an opportunity to segue over to, um, exposition ventures, what you're focused on now, you know, I guess the first most basic question is why are you still placing your bets, um, from a VC standpoint on manufacturing? Uh, because I think it's a more exciting time uh, than ever, actually, having mm-hmm. having having been looking at it for the better part of the last decade. So I think the term Industry 4.0 was invented a decade ago. And mm-hmm. I'm a baseball fan, too. And I would tell you, okay. we're still in the, we're still in the early innings. We're still in the first three innings of this, because if you've got manufacturers on your show, you know that that everybody, GE, Honeywell, everyone is early in mm-hmm. their digital transformation process. Everybody mm-hmm. talks about it, yeah. uh, but probably because they've got Deloitte and McKinsey and whatever helping them and Bain think through these topics. But they've been challenging to implement. Um, and as you say, they require strong uh, executive leadership because they, the power is when they touch the whole organization and when you can share information across the whole organization. So we're still early in this digital journey. Yeah. Um, I saw that at GE Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and COVID has actually demonstrated the need for it, quite frankly. I mean, I think COVID, COVID has, has shown us that it's not okay to have all manufacturing uh, offshore. Mm-hmm. We need to be able mm-hmm. to manufacture domestically. It's shown the fragility in supply chains. Uh, and it's really, you know, 
And it's in some cases, it's really highlighted a need to have more agile manufacturing as well. If you, even mm-hmm. if you think about how companies have tried to respond to some of the manufacturing challenges and needs in COVID, you know, it's hard to turn your manufacturing on a dime. We talk about the, you know, the Defense Production Act. It's, it's hard to turn manufacturing on a dime. So mm-hmm. how do you have more flexible, more agile manufacturing? And that's, you know, I think that requires, um, it requires automation. It mm-hmm. requires digitization. It requires a lot of things. So uh, the, the types of things that um, Exposition Ventures is uh, well positioned to invest in and is investing in. Well, I have to ask then. So you mentioned uh, more agile manufacturing, digitization, automation. What are some of the trends that you're seeing that you're most excited about in the manufacturing space right now beyond that? And feel free to share specifics as well. Well, from an agile manufacturing perspective, I've been following a lot on the uh, the actual digital manufacturing. And obviously, we've been using CNC for years. Mm -hmm. I think 3D printing has Mm -hmm. really come to the fore now. Um, In my GE days, we were investors in companies like Desktop Metal, which uh, went public in a SPAC last year, and Carbon on the on the polymer side and both of them really trying to address the issue of speed mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. of 3D printing and, and thereby get at cost. Um, I'm really excited about um, Azul 3D here in the Midwest. It's actually in Chicago, spin out out of Northwestern, um, which has the potential to go even faster than carbon. So very mm-hmm. excited about that one. Um, you, you mentioned my favorite, one of my favorite companies in Zometry. Zometry okay. um, is manufacturing as a service. You pro- your people probably heard all about it. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the clever things that they're able to do is leverage AI to figure out pricing uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and really help manufacturers load level and, and find new, uh, new businesses. So I think I'm, I'm pretty excited about, um, about that group. Uh, Upskill is a company that's, you know, leveraging uh, AR to provide mm-hmm. work instructions and the like. So there's this whole notion of connected workers. How do you get workers information just in time, mm-hmm. um, whether it be on the manufacturing floor or it be on services? Um how do you how do you leverage sort of IoT technologies to make uh, comp- met, uh, your employees safe? Um, yeah. Companies like companies like Guard Hat, which has mm-hmm. a connected helmet um, uh, platform, and actually now a lot of these connected worker platforms are being leveraged to enforce social distancing in factories. You know, because we've had a lot of COVID outbreaks in some of these facilities. Yeah. Um, uh, if you think about manufacturing, it's an ecosystem. Yeah. So uh, the things that I've just talked about are things that are in in the manufacturing facility itself. Um, you're certainly leveraging a lot of AI to, mm-hmm. to understand OEE and uh, look at uh, predictive maintenance, look at opportunities to increase efficiency. So mm-hmm. companies like a site machine, I think about uh, in that one, um, or companies like a new one that I'm looking at, um, Hybite, 
that's uh, really helping you build out those data models uh, uh, to be able to do um, a lot of this deep analysis, because uh, that's important, uh, how you, the data model is important to be able to get uh, your analytics right. So yeah. I think there's some great opportunities there. Uh, and then manufacturing requires inputs and outputs. So mm -hmm. I have been looking also at uh, some of the supply chain and, and logistics uh, companies as well. Um, so, you know, we're talking a lot today about, you know, the port of LA, if you're getting a lot of your supplies from China, they've got to go into the port of LA, There's, that's going mm -hmm. to be delayed. So companies that help you manage that have been pretty mm -hmm. interesting. Um, companies like Nyshex, which are doing a, uh, uh, helping you uh, to, to price your contracts for ocean shipping, yeah. or P44, which is giving you visibility on the trucking. So there's just so much activity going on across the no entire <laughs> uh, space that there's just a lot. It's a, it's a cornucopia for, for folks uh, who want to be investing in this space. Well, yeah, I, I've been I've been writing down some of the ones you've been mentioning, and it's no short list. I mean, but uh, I love that you're talking about the technologies and the problems they solve as well. When you're focused on 3D printing, you're talking about the speed associated with that. When you're talking about zometry, you're talking about using AI to figure out pricing more efficiently. Like it all goes, you know, it's all technologies connected to problems. What I'd love you to dive into one of those for me. One stuck out. I've heard this name a couple times, guard hat. You mentioned it's tied to safety. You mentioned a connected helmet. There's there's a how it's made element to this show as well. People love getting a little techie on this. Like so how does guard hat work? How is how is does a connected helmet increase safety as an example? Yeah, so this is a it's a pretty interesting one. What they're able to help you do is manage, localize where your employees are. Mm -hmm. So if they, if you know that they're not supposed to be in that zone or they don't have the right requirements, the right training, the right equipment to be in that zone, then mm -hmm. you can then that provides alerts. Or if you connect it to a, a, a an entry system you know, mm -hmm. they, they cannot get access to it. So that's yeah. a, a critical component. There's a, there's, they have a com communications built into it uh, so that you're able to, if the, if a worker slips and falls, um, they're able to see that because, you know, of the gyroscopes and what have you. And then they're able to radio to the worker. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's actually a pretty sophisticated, um, employee management system uh, mm -hmm. uh, from that perspective. Um, uh, but it does, it does require some beaconing technology to help you localize the actual wearer of the hat or they can have it implemented as a, as a card or, or something else. That's pretty cool. I, I, I'd heard the name a couple times. It was one of the ones that jumped out in the middle. And, and any time that we can take these Industry 4.0 technologies and apply them to safety, I think, I mean, it just makes so much sense what you're describing, having a hat connected to a system where you can't get into certain parts of the facility and things like that. Like, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Um, you know, I, I guess I have a more general question around venture capital in, in the manufacturing space. I mean, do you feel that manufacturing is appropriately represented in VC investment right now? Or do you feel there are gaps? 
Uh, I think that there are, I think increasingly uh, your bulge bracket firms are recognizing that there's an opportunity. I think what makes great venture firms sustainable is they mm-hmm. recognize when there are opportunities and shifts in the market. Uh, so I see a lot of venture capital going after a lot of consumer trends, but as more of as more folks have focused on B2B trends mm-hmm. um, and business trends, then uh, some of those groups and particularly ones that, that, uh, that are more capable of dealing with, with these types of technologies have started to come into this space. And the other groups that I'm seeing come into this space um, at a later stage, though, are the PE firms themselves, because the PE firms, the private equity firms or the growth mm-hmm. capital folks tend to invest in a lot of companies that make things and manufacture things. And mm-hmm. so those companies need access to these technologies to run their uh, businesses more efficient and efficiently. And I think that's uh, gotten some of these PE firms interested in these next generation technologies. Okay. So people are seeing the opportunity, private equity is coming in. It sounds, but it sounds like that it's still a growing area. I'm sure part of the reason of having exposition ventures is because there's still a wide opportunity in there. I think that's, I think that's right. I think there are, um, there aren't very many uh, uh, venture groups that are dedicated to this thesis. Exposition is, Mm -hmm. uh, is one um, of, of a small handful. Um, yeah. But I'm seeing more groups come in. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. This episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Steamchain.io. Steamchain is the machine as a service company that's transforming the way end users and equipment manufacturers collaborate, increase revenues, and grow together. Now, what is machine as a service? Well, if you're familiar with other as a service business models, it works very similarly. Rather than pay the upfront cost of a piece of capital equipment, whether that's a case erector or a canning line or anything beyond that or in between, end users have the opportunity to pay for that equipment based on its usage and performance. This moves investment dollars from CapEx to OpEx and ties this investment to production output. The coolest thing is machine builders win as well. Through this performance-based financing model, now OEMs can cash in on the increases in throughput and quality that they deliver, generating ongoing post-sale revenue for their business. Steamchain's machine-as-a-service business model is one of the best solutions I've come across during my time hosting Manufacturing Happy Hour. And if you want to hear more, make sure to check out Episode 5, where we interviewed Steamchain's CEO and co-founder, Mike Kromicky. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain and make sure to visit them at steamchain.io to learn how you can start working with them today. And now, back to today's episode. Well, we're kind of getting to the the latter third of our interview here, and I want to change gears a little bit. Here, here's some things from from your some more from your perspective and your experience. One question that comes to mind, and you've talked about it a couple times throughout the interview, the things you look for when you're investing. You talked about why psychology is important. You talk about why origin stories are important. Everyone has experiences that shape them in their lives. And I'm curious, based on your own personal experiences and what you've learned in your 
decades of doing this. Is there something that you place a higher priority on that maybe other investors don't when they're looking at these type of companies? You know, <laughs> I, we talked about the psychology piece, and I've definitely seen my share of them fail on that uh, on that uh, rock. Um, one of the things that I like about where exposition is playing in this advanced manufacturing in this industrial digital transformation space is that when I look at the value chains, whether you're, and I saw this from my GE days, whether you're um, making airplanes or you're doing locomotives or you're making HR uh, or, or you're making, you know, um, uh, healthcare scanners or what mm -hmm. have you, there's a lot of similarities in those value chains. And so companies and, and a lot of similar challenges. And so companies that can address those challenges that apply to different industries, but mm -hmm. market opportunities, that's what I look for. Mm. Um, and that's, that's uh, why I'm excited about this because the value chain is pretty similar across all these industries. Mm -hmm. The pain points are, are there and understood and companies who can address it can sell into a lot of different types of companies and it's a huge opportunity. What are what are maybe the top one or two similar challenges that you see? I've I've got some inkling as to what they could be, but I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, really managing operations and analytics on operations, mm -hmm. um, uh, and anybody who's manufacturing doesn't. I don't care what they're manufacturing has those challenges. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. Um. There's a lot around the, some of the employees, and, and uh, we, I, I have a, um, a thesis around, um, you know, the, the worker and how you can enhance mm -hmm. workers, uh, whether that's through automation or we talked about AR, VR, those kinds of things. So that those are challenges. We talked about some of the, the challenges in uh, supply chain and logistics. Those apply to anybody mm -hmm. who makes things. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there are cultural challenges that uh, I'm not going to sure. solve with technology. Sure. No, there's 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 no short list, but certainly, I mean, starting off with operations is a big one. Every company has operations, and there are ways to to streamline, take data, make better decisions. So, the next question I have for you is is slightly more personal, and, and I got to go back to something you mentioned earlier. You mentioned you're a baseball fan, so yeah. before I ask the question, I have to ask an, an easy one: Who's your baseball team then? The New York Yankees. I'm originally from New York. That's that's what I thought. I was about to say Sox or Cubs, but then I'm like, I thought you said you were originally from New York. So Yankees fan. All right. Got a fun team to, to pay attention to right now. Usually have a very fun team to pay attention to. Their history trumps my uh, my St. Louis Cardinals for sure, even though they're also a historically good team. <laughs> it's I'm trying to visit all the baseball stadiums, and I have been to Bush Stadium, and... Uh, yeah, Bush Stadium is is really a great ballpark. <laughs> so, I love it. Aside from Yankee Stadium, do you have a favorite that uh, that you've been to? Oh, geez. Um, you know, I have to say uh, Wrigley is good. Mm -hmm. uh, Wrigley is good. Uh, so, <laughs> I, right. you know, maybe the maybe uh, yeah. 
Wrigley is good. It, it's a classic. I still I've been to a game there. I still need to see my birds play the Cubs there at some point. So but the That's reason I'm, it is it is a hard ticket to get. It will be even more difficult once games start becoming a thing again that people can go to. So um, but as much as I could talk about baseball, there was a, a method to my madness with bringing that up. Um, I also heard that you are or were a tennis player in another podcast of yours I was listening to. And I always love drawing parallels between business and sports. I'm curious whether it's baseball or tennis, you know, or maybe another extracurricular of yours. Have, have those taught you anything that served you well in your VC career? That's a, that's a, a, a good one. Tennis and served. That's pretty good. <laughs> I um, didn't realize that when I asked that, but thank you for pointing out the pun. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. You know, I played tennis in high school and college uh, mm-hmm. and uh I still play for my club. Uh, I haven't played with my travel team for the club uh, at least this last year, but uh, yeah, no, I still play competitively. So, uh, you know, the first thing you learn in tennis is like the ready position. You like, you you know, knees bent and you're able Mm -hmm. to move in any direction. And I feel like that's been the story of my life, uh, both from a, both from a career perspective, as well as from an investing perspective, because, you know, when I went to graduate school, it really was with the intention of becoming a professor of chemistry. (laughs) Um, You know, but I got involved in venture capital and I started doing venture capital. I, I, you know, when I started doing venture capital investing, I did a lot of healthcare investing. Uh, I did some, I've done semiconductor investing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I keep my knees bent. Uh, but I have been, as I say, over the last decade or so, very focused on this issue of of manufacturing and how we can improve manufacturing. And I, I originally mm-hmm. got into that because I because of another uh, civic duty side hustle. I um, was on the visiting committee uh, for advanced technologies at the National Institute of Standards and Technologies. And there I worked on advanced manufacturing topics. Uh, and some of that work led to the creation of these uh, national network of manufacturing institutes, one of which is here in Chicago in MXD. So just, uh, you know, back to the kind of things that you're doing on the side, helping to inform you. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's how I got into manufacturing. No, It's great. And I love the knees bent and move in any direction analogy as we talk about, you know, whether it's in career management or whether it's, you know, manufacturers becoming more agile. I think that's a a great way to sum it up. You know, a a few more questions before before we wrap the conversation. And the first one is I I mentioned that we this is the first time we've talked about venture capital on the show before and how it applies to the manufacturing industry. Do you have a resource you'd recommend people check out if they want to learn more, whether it's a podcast or a book or something? that that helps give some shine some additional light on this topic well uh, one organization that i'm involved with uh is m hub i think we refer to it in in here in chicago which is a um a physical product innovation center uh Mm -hmm. and it's uh i like to think of it as um kind of a machine shop on steroids, right? You can yeah. join, you can join and develop your physical product in there because they've had the, the resources and facilities to do that um, mm-hmm. and to do rapid prototyping and the like. Um, 
but they also have a new accelerated incubation program where they're, uh, they've got an accelerator for uh, hardware-related businesses um, mm. and, and uh, businesses that are also addressing challenges in manufacturing. So I think they're a great resource for connecting to capital for hard tech companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do publish some, some data on, uh, on um, industry 4.0 and investments in the space. And then, you know, PitchBook is a great resource. And then, of course, people should follow me on Twitter and, uh, and, they, and they can learn more, keep up on trends that way. And what is your handle on Twitter? I'll have it all in the show notes, but for those listening that want to keep a mental note. Yeah, I try to keep it simple. It's Karen E. Carr. <laughs> awesome. Karen E. Carr. Uh, Carr with a, an E, K-E-R-R for, for people that are looking for it. So yeah, that's guys, it. <laughs> like I said, I'll have resources to all of those in the show notes for those listening. And I actually only really have one question left because you beat me to the punch. I wanted to ask you about M-Hub, but I like that that was your uh, recommended resource. So um, definitely check that out to those listening. And and Karen, you, you have a wealth of experience. We've covered a lot of ground in today's episode, but I, I have to ask, is there anything you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet? Wow, you've asked a, a, a lot of great questions. It's been fun, actually. It has, it has been fun. You didn't ask me what we thought. We said we, start, we started off uh, at the Duke of Perth. Yeah. You didn't ask me what my favorite single malt scotch was. I was thinking of asking you that, but I'm like, maybe we dive into the interview, but this is a perfect time to tell you, tell us what your favorite single malt scotch is. <laughs> uh, well, I, I had the great privilege of investing in the reopening of Brook Lottie. And that turned out to be a great investment for me. Uh, I, you know, excellent award-winning scotch as well. Uh, but my favorite scotch uh, is uh, the Springbank 21. Springbank 21. That's another one. I'll, I'll make sure to link up to that in the show notes as well for people uh, if they want to check out your favorite scotch. So I'm glad you brought it back around to uh, the Duke of Perth. Um, this has been a lot of fun today, Karen, and uh, I really think our listeners are going to enjoy this one. So thank you so much for spending the time on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Thanks for having me, Chris. Hey, hey, thanks for listening. Always great being able to circle it back to beverages before the episode wraps up. If you want to learn more about that Springbank 21, I was just looking at it. It's not cheap, but it looks delicious. Or if you want to learn more about M-Hub or any of the other resources Karen talked about in today's episode, make sure to head over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 39. That's three nine. As a call to action today, I know normally at the end of the show, I ask you to leave a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. But what I'm going to ask you today is if you liked the episode and you're on Twitter, tweet at myself and Karen and tell us what you thought or maybe one good takeaway you got from today's episode. Again, Karen's handle is Karen E. Carr and Carr is spelled K-E-R-R. Make sure you follow her. And if you're not already connected to Manufacturing Happy Hour over on Twitter, that is MFG Happy Hour. So MFG, three letters, happy hour, just like we are over on Instagram. Make sure you're following us there and tell us what you thought about today's show. We'd love to have that conversation with you over at Twitter. 
Before we wrap up, I want to make sure I thank both of our sponsors today. First, we have Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha is an e-commerce company specifically for equipment manufacturers. Their equip platform is absolutely top-notch. Their whole team came from the manufacturing industry before starting this, so they really have a pulse on this space. If you want to learn more about Equip and Gen Alpha, make sure to head back to episode 34 to listen to our interview with their president and COO, Chris Harrington. Thanks a bunch, Gen Alpha. And also, thank you, Steam Chain, our continuous sponsor of the show. Steamchain.io is the machine as a service company. They are helping end users and OEMs collaborate by monetizing production data. End users can pay for equipment based on production output through usage-based contracts, and OEMs get to create a basically an ongoing revenue stream by cashing in on the production of the equipment they sell to their end users. If you want to learn more about Steam Chain, best spot to do that is episode five of Manufacturing Happy Hour, where we interview their CEO, Mike Kromicky. Anyway, that's a wrap for today's show. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour, powered by the Industrial Network.